0: Welcome to the Sex Café Podcast. This is Dr. Lopez Castillo, and today we are going to talk about the menstrual cycle. We're going to have a series of interviews with Uma Siraim and Radhika Desai from Period UCF. We're going to hear from Sara Sharifi, president of Her Health at UCF. And we're going to listen from Dr. Annalisa Sega from UCF College of Medicine. These interviews summarize their point of views and expertise on the menstrual cycle. Let's get started with the interview I did with Uma and Radhika from Period UCF. Can you please introduce yourself? Tell me your pronouns and what do you do within your organization?
1: All right, my name is Radhika Desai. I am the president and co-founder of Period at UCF. Uh, My pronouns are she, her, hers.
0: Welcome, and on my left, Hello,
2: my name is Uma. I I am a period drive director, and my pronouns are she, her as well. And my job is basically to work under Radhika and help her with period packing parties and collecting and donating products.
0: Can you tell me a little bit more about what drinks are we having today?
2: I am having a cup of black coffee.
0: (laughs) Nice. Always nice and strong to keep us running. Yes. (laughs) How about you?
2: I am having coffee, and I believe with cinnamon creamer. I looked at it and I was like, this is so interesting. I want to try it.
0: (laughs) So before we start with period, which I'm super excited to hear about this club and your activities, can we talk about the menstrual cycle in general? Why is it important that we know what's going on and what's normal within a menstrual cycle?
1: Yeah, so period is, you know, biological phenomenon that happens to menstruators every month. Um, And that's why it's super important to understand you know, the biology of it and have it be a topic that is talked about openly. You know, we talk about things like other health conditions or even now in our world, we're starting to talk more about things like mental health or that importance. And so period is another topic that I think or we all think we should talk about more openly.
0: And that's very important that you mention it because we are more aware of other health topics that you cannot disconnect. So health is Comprehensive, right? As physical, as mental, as social. So we incorporate all of those aspects, and it's important to know what's normal and what's expected. At what age should we expect, on average, a period to start in people?
2: I would say periods vary like immensely over everyone. Um, but when we look at like averages, I would say the average age of a period is from ten to fourteen. But you can see it as early as like seven or eight, or as late as sixteen or seventeen. Um, honestly, that's a conversation that's more likely with your doctor just because, you know, there is so much variability with when periods start. Um, so I would say there's no such normal, but any time in that range.
0: So normally is what it is for everyone, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's different. And uh, since the start, of, since a person starts having periods, what should they expect for a normal frequency?
1: It's usually, so a period comes typically every month with a 28-day cycle on average. So every 28 days, you should expect to have a menstrual cycle. Like Uma mentioned, every period is different. Every person experiences a period. Sometimes your cycle is different even within like month to month. So some days you could, or sometimes you could have a 28-day cycle. Some days it could be 30. Sometimes it could be 12. But typically, yeah, around 28 days, something, again, that you can like track. And there's great apps for that that we advocate for.
2: And also there is like expected a little bit of variability, especially when you're young, just because, you know, the nature of your diet, stress and other factors also really like affect your period and like the little variability, like the few days. So it's really important to like just like make sure that you don't like overstress if your period comes a few days late or a few days early, but also be comfortable enough to talk about it with the doctor as well
0: so if it's not exactly 28 days on the minute you probably should not be concerned as long as it's within a normal range that repeats month after month okay wonderful is there any warning signs of how heavy is too heavy of a period when should people be concerned about you know, this is normal. It, it can go from spotty to heavy bleeding.
1: So typically in a period, you bleed around a shot glass worth amount of blood, which I know when I found that out, I was kind of shocked. Like when you are experiencing a menstrual cycle, you, you feel like it's a lot more blood than just a little shot glass. It's around like six tablespoons, so it's not too much, but it's obviously hard to like measure that. Uh, you're not actually filling up a shot glass when you are on your period. So in terms of heavy and not heavy, it's a kind of a subjective thing again. Some menstruators do have heavier periods than others. It is just like the nature of the beast. Spotting is normal sometimes as well. They kind of have to go with how you feel, I think. And also physicians, when you go to an OB-GYN, they probably will ask you how many pads you go through or how many tampons you go through. So that's one way that it is quantified because usually a standard pad can last like four to six hours. So they kind of measure it that way. How many are you filling?
0: So we talk about how frequently periods should repeat, right? On on average, every 28 days. To recap, how long do they last?
2: I would say maybe on average, five to six days. It can range from, some people have periods as short as three days. And then some people have like seven to nine day periods. But I would see for most people like five to six days.
0: Great. So about five to six days every around 28-ish days. And, and that should probably be the answers on the textbook, 28-ish oh, yeah. days. <laughs> is there anything else besides the obvious of bleeding factors, right? It's, it's what catches the eye and it's normally what is uh, the conversation that is being had. But is there anything else that people should be aware uh, when they have their period? So is there any other signs or symptoms separate from the bleeding that may perhaps announce that a period is coming?
1: definitely a lot of symptoms and signs that come with the period. I'm sure a lot of people have seen you know all the media stereotypes and things like that so I'm sure people are familiar but you know things like headaches, nausea, bloating, fatigue is a big one, sometimes mood swings, cramps. So for a lot of menstruators a lot of those symptoms start not even at the on of bleeding but a few days before which can be a sign that your menstrual cycle is about to start i know for me personally they start around two three days before i start getting a little moody start getting the headaches, and then i kind of know okay yeah my period is about to start and those symptoms can often usually do last through the cycle as well and sometimes for some menstruators even a few days after so it can be more than just that five days of bleeding it could be a few days before as well as a few days after
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely with mood and I think mental health too, um, it's really important, you know, around the time of periods, there are some changes hormonally as well that can affect the way your mood is. But also, I think one we've been talking about more often in period is also some people go through some like appetite changes around the time of your period. So there's no like definite list, but I think You know, there's definitely a lot of factors when it comes to your period, like mentally as well, that are affected.
0: And Radhika was mentioning that there's some stereotypes there that have been like, does... So I have some questions about those urban legends uh, on stereotypes, does chocolate really help with the mood changes during period?
1: I think there has been research, you know, chocolate has been that commonly media, like, stereotype. There has been research, I think, with chocolate and hormones and I think they found that like dark chocolate helps a little bit but it I think end of the day just like a major craving that some people have um we've talked about it some our vice president actually she doesn't like eating chocolate on her period at all because of the sugar in it so it's not not every menstruator's preferred (laughs) craving yeah
0: now what is the advantage that we have as a species for having periods it it it, it's differentiates us from other species that do not have periods think of fish for example what is our evolutionary advantage of having periods What's the whole purpose of periods in nature
2: yeah so there are a lot of different theories for this question i actually find it really interesting um i think periods actually evolved i think 40 million years ago and i think the most commonly believed theory is that periods were a way to get rid of some of like the sperm born like pathogens um, so just a way to clean body remove any like chance of infection but I think there's also I think there's another theory that I think it's it's related to the metabolical like energy that the body use so it takes less energy to like shed the lining every month than it does to like maintain the lining of the endometrium. So I think that is another like big theory for why periods actually exist and continue to exist.
0: Not being a menstruator mm-hmm. myself, probably it's easier said than done and experiencing it every every week. But I do appreciate also your perspective within uh, your, your club and also being like advocates for menstruators out there. Great. So now let's move into now that we know the basics of menstrual period, let's move into how do people how can people handle it? How can people work and live an everyday healthy life handling their periods? So what gadgets and what strategies are out there to work on the on a normal period?
1: Well, in terms of gadgets, (laughs) there are, you know, obviously there's the products that you use for a period. So the pads, the tampons, there's also menstrual cups. Now there's also menstrual discs, period underwear. So in terms of products you can use to actually collect your period blood, there are a lot out there. And then there are a ton of things out there to actually combat the, all those symptoms we talked about. So the pain, the cramps, the headaches, there are heat pads, you know. we we'll
2: talk about the heat pads that you bring up at the uh, the meetings?
1: Oh, yeah. So there are these heat <laughs> pads that some of us like to use that are sticky. So they have an adhesive back that you actually can adhere to your like underwear or the back of your pants or the inside of your pants. And they just warm up at the sense of skin, I guess. And they're great because you can just go about your life and they keep you heated for like up to eight hours so those are there's a ton of things out there now
0: fantastic can we unpack those a little bit more so say for example i'm the single parent of a teenage girl who just started her her period what should i know about pads let's start with pads
2: i would say so i would say if you're dealing with a daughter you definitely have to talk to her and you know see what her flow is like just because there are a variety of different pads catered to different menstrual needs. So, how heavy your flow is. There's also like different widths and size and lengths as well so it's really important that's also another personal preference
0: I figure the aesthetic also you like the yeah. type of your personal yeah. underwear that you wear and how does it fit within your everyday life right, right yeah.
2: and there's also now I believe there's a lot more sustainable as well so those are obviously a little bit more expensive so it also depends on your your want or preference to you know be sustainable versus like cost effective as well
0: yeah thank you for bringing in those considerations those are also very important for people who are navigating the Mm -hmm. menstrual pad aisle in this in the grocery store for the first time right
1: there are a lot of options it can definitely seem daunting and
0: when it came to coffee we were just talking about how overwhelming choices can be so (laughs) choice paralysis is a real thing (laughs) so there's a lot of mystery and a lot of myths around tampons What should we know about the basics of tampons so what is a tampon first and foremost
1: so a tampon is an insertable I don't want to call it a device but it's like an insertable (laughs) absorbent thing that you can use for your period and so yes it is inserted into your vagina and it can stay up to six to eight hours typically there are sizes with that as well and then there's a string and so then after it's full you
2: just pull it out and dispose of it the way you would a pad
0: and it can be replaced and used continuously as long as it's replaced consistently
2: you do have to make sure that you like look at the time on the packaging just because there is a a risk of TSI, yeah, or TSS. Said, toxic, toxic, so-
0: <laughs> toxic shock syndrome TSS. Toxic toxic shock syndrome. So, <laughs> so TMI. Yeah. You mentioned that is a. Uh, uh, device that it can be have this absorbent property is not properly a sponge is a medical let's say it's a medically engineered yes. uh, absorbent <laughs> device right so there's a lot of uh, urban legends about tampons and virginity can we talk about some of those urban legends and demystify it for our listeners
1: yeah i mean the tampons have have a lot of stigma associated with them in many cultures kind of the reason being that people have seem to believe that inserting a tampon makes you lose your virginity. And the reason they think that is because it could break your I think they think it could break your hymen and the hymen has been associated with virginity and that's kind of been that definition of when your hymen breaks, you're no longer virgin. And so it's become this deeper issue not just about a pad or a tampon or period, it becomes Uh, you know like a broader reproductive health or broader sex taboo topic and so that's why tampons are kind of so stigmatized for a lot of menstruators.
2: I would say in the past um, specifically when you talk about virginity and how you know tampons can take your virginity um, virginity in the past like with historical context was basically used almost to objectify women just because it gave them value. it also gave them like a standing. So I think it's really important to also consider that historical context of virginity when you talk about tampons that can like affect that just because, well, actually I looked into this yesterday, the hymen actually doesn't break, it just stretches. So the whole concept of it taking your virginity is just based on a myth itself. So it's really important when you teach someone how to use a tampon or you inform them about it that they're not, you know, just believing this myth that it breaks your virginity or takes your virginity
0: also as a social construct yeah. probably in nowadays society yeah. it's it has nothing to do with our everyday practices so right. people should probably be aware that health comes first and being a conscious and well-informed consumer mm-hmm. of menstrual products should take some pre- precedence over urban legends right and that's why we're here we're here to demystify those
1: i think we see that a lot like the tampon virginity myth sort of i think like represents the issue that there's so many myths out there that the more we talk about them the more they seem real you know like the hymen not breaking when you use a tampon is something that i didn't learn until i was like almost 20 years old and i had thought it forever or you know while i was menstruating so it's super important that we talk about things and you know i make if it's like a simple fact like that make that more accessible to people so they know i guess through podcasts like this and different educational ways
0: thank you so much also for your advocacy as well it's, it's the more we learn the more we can get the word out and make that's the whole idea make a better word for everyone right now let's talk a little bit about more cutting-edge technology right I'm pretty sure is not new from last year but menstrual cups are a new thing and they are in social media and there's a lot of advocacy uh, around it what is it about menstrual cups and menstrual uh, discs as you mentioned that is so innovative and why is it so in the media nowadays
1: so menstrual cups and menstrual discs are definitely gaining attention because they are a great sustainable option for menstruators a lot of people do actually say that they find them to be more comfortable than a pad or a tampon that again is subjective but it's a great option it basically the cup is it looks like a little kind of like a little like a little shot glass almost yeah. um, but it's usually made of rubber silicone and it's You insert it the same way you would a tampon, so into your vagina, and it just sits there and collects the blood. And then at the end of the day, it actually, you can keep it in for like 8 to 12 hours, I think. You just dump it out, and then you clean it by just boiling it in like a pot of water. So it's a really great option for people because you can use it for for a really long time, for more than maybe a couple of years. So it's more affordable, it's like 20 bucks for one. It's great for the environment because you're not using tons of pads and tampons.
2: Yeah, pads and tampons take a long time to degrade. Mm-hmm. So having the option of buying a menstrual cup, if you're comfortable with using it, does really like positively impact
0: the environment as well. So Makes sense. And also it's quite convenient to have one or two just around uh if you're traveling or if you're caught off guard and not prepared it's just there Mm -hmm. to be used that's fantastic and again material wise i guess as as long as you keep the the exchanges within the the recommended period so I would recommend everyone to check their manufacturer instructions for what are the recommended time that you can have your menstrual cups on and as long as you comply with those just like a tampon you will prevent you will prevent infections and it should be sustainable what would be some of the resistance that you have heard in your advocacy campaigns about menstrual cups why do people may have some doubt
1: I think the big, like one of the doubts is just accessibility. Like I mentioned, it's usually around like $20, which, you know, if you're doing the long-term breakdown, it is more affordable. But in terms of for that first purchase, it's more expensive than a box of pads or box box of tampons. It's also not always accessible to those menstruators who don't even have access to pads or tampons in general, menstruators who are below the poverty line and on food stamps usually menstrual cups aren't something that they can purchase with those food stamps, so it's not completely
2: as accessible as our standard pads and tampons are. Just, there's just like a general fear with menstrual cups, just because it is like, well, pads and t- tampons are very common. A lot of people talk about them, but, you know, when it comes to menstrual cups, there's not been a whole lot of conversation until recently about them. So I think just a general fear as well.
0: Now let's talk about those apps that you have mentioned a yes. couple times already that they should help people to keep track of the period. What is it that they're gonna be tracking on their apps? And we're gonna put some links of those that are Period indoors. Period the club. Indoors. I'll talk
2: about mine first. I use one called Life. The crazy thing is I've been using it since I got my period. I've had it for like six or seven years. So it pretty much knows the pattern by now, which is really great. Um, But basically what you do is every time you get your period, you just press add period. And it like documents the date. But it also starts to track your ovulation and it predicts when your next period will come as well so it's really great so if you're looking at your calendar and you have like plans but you also want to like know what your period's coming it's cool because you can just open the app and you can see you know
0: without doing the calendar math yeah. in your head
2: it's like it's crazy because i talked to my mom about this and you know back when she was younger she would have to actually write it on a calendar and she'd have to calculate when the 28 days or however long her cycle was. But it's cool cuz you know our apps kind of predict the trend and then you could just open it up and see when it's expected. And it might not be exactly accurate, but it's good to know like the time frame. But yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I use an app called Clue. It's similar to the one Uma mentioned. It tracks your cycle, your ovulation period. I also love it because it tracks all of your, like it allows you to track all your symptoms. Also like, So, yeah, cramps, headache, tenderness that you're having, all of that you can track. And then you can also track things like your energy level, how much you slept, have you moved, allows you to track like your sex drive because that's something that is affected by your cycle as well. And then it just gives you like a calendar breakdown of it. It's funny Uma mentioned her mom having to write it down because I remember when I got my period, my mom had a notebook that she had, you know, the dates written down. She was like, okay, here's your notebook. I was like, I'm not doing that. That's so old school and i started tracking mine in like my phone calendar and then i converted over to an app but i just recently got my mom to get an app as well cuz she was still doing the paper
2: i don't think my mom uses an app yet i think <laughs> i think by now though i think it's like ingrained in her that she just she just knows it's coming
0: we were just talking about how change can be challenging right, right? as you have been used to that to that way and that way is effective to you that's that's really fascinating because uh, not only you have your data, but you can make so much, so many predictions out based on that data, right? Think, for example, when you are in the reproductive age, you already have this wealth of data behind it that can tell you, you know, if you are already looking to have children, this is probably around the time when you're going to have ovulation. And having that background data is so important, the benchmark. Now let's talk about your club, your club. Funny enough, not to be confused with the actual period, but your club's (laughs) name is period. Tell me more about what period advocates for.
1: Yeah, so I can talk a little bit about what PERIOD is. Um, so PERIOD is actually a national organization. It's called PERIOD the Menstrual Movement. It was started by, her name was Nadia Okamoto, and it was started a while ago. And so PERIOD at UCF is just a local chapter of that. There are tons of chapters all across the country, but also across the world of men, just people who want to advocate for period, like ending period poverty, advocate for menstrual equity, advocate for just having conversations like this. So we started period at UCF three years ago. It was me and my friend, her name is Isha Gosalker. And we started it on campus because we're both aspiring physicians, aspiring OB-GYNs actually, who are super passionate about the movement and the organization's purpose. We had really different experiences with our periods growing up in terms of cultural stigmas or just how it's talked about at our homes. And so we kind of just wanted to form a group where we could talk about these things and share experiences. And so it's turned into a great club. <laughs> and we have awesome directors who will all join us to host workshops, to do donation drives.
0: That's fascinating, the work that uh, Period has been doing at UCF. And uh, do you limit your work within UCF or are you also reaching out to the community as well?
1: Yeah, we do a lot of community outreach. so. Actually, COVID helped us a lot because we were able to do outreach virtually with other chapters in Florida as well as across the country. We did Zoom workshops with all of Florida's chapters. We did a racism in reproductive health panel where we had three OB-GYNs and a doula midwife who came on and spoke about their experiences with racism in the field. This was last summer. Or two summers ago right at the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement that was happening in our country and so that was an awesome opportunity for us to not only network with all of the period chapters in our state but also to have you know a larger kind of span and then in terms of Orlando we do volunteer work with the Orlando Union Rescue Mission and local homeless shelters that's where we drop off our products for them and also We've been doing workshops with Olympia High School. We're doing like what we call sex ed revamped, where we do sex ed talks that we wish we had when we
0: were in high school. And that's fantastic. That outreach, you can never... As I always tell my students and my readers, knowledge doesn't take any space. It's, it's, it will sit there. Even if it's for winning a trivia night at the restaurant, it, it will sit there with you, and it doesn't take any space. So any knowledge that you have... Any accurate knowledge that you have will be helpful, will come helpful at some point. So, to wrap up, also, how can people contact you when, say, for example, our community members who would be interested in either having you stop by and do some advocacy work, some talks, drop off some donations if anyone is in need? How can they get in contact with Period at UCF?
2: Yeah, so period is very active on all its social medias. Um, I think specifically Instagram, you know, we're very active on there. We post, you know, information about upcoming meetings and events, but also just, you know, statistics, any other findings that we find. So I will say you can always direct message the Instagram, but also we are also very responsible with email. So definitely email us if you want to talk or have any like considerations for collaboration. And then I would say most of our events are on Mondays, I think from seven to eight in the student union at UCF. So we're open to all people. So please feel free to come and, you know, interact with us and learn more about periods as well. And then I think you'll probably know a little bit more about like the collaboration side of it. I mean if anyone's interested in if their organization wants to
1: collab with us or do a service project like Uma mentioned, Instagram, email, those are all ways you can get in contact with us. Um, We also have a website perioducf.com. That's where all of our events kind of are posted if you are interested in seeing when one is to come out to.
2: And if you're a UCF student, if you're on Night Connect, it's also really easy there. You just have to join as a member and then you can see all the events.
0: That's fantastic. And for our listeners, we're going to leave a uh, link to all these resources, to the social media and the contact information and evidently to the website so they can follow all the great things that PERIOD is doing for the UCF community and for the Central Florida community. And if they're interested in knowing more what they're doing abroad as well, uh, they can follow up on those breaking news soon. So I would like to thank Radhika and Uma. Thank you so much For your time today with us. And we appreciate all the wealth of knowledge that we have uh, to share with our listeners. And uh, hopefully, we will follow up with uh, great news on upcoming seasons of the podcast. Now let's hear from Sarah Sharifi, president of Her Health at UCF, who also had some points to add to the previous interview with Period UCF. So we have already had the amazing guests from Period at UCF. Now we will continue our conversation on menstrual cycle and I have another guest here with me that will tell us everything about their organization. I'll let her introduce herself.
3: Hello, thank you for having me on here. My name is Sarah Sharifi and I am a junior at UCF. I am currently the president and founder of Her Health at UCF, which is a organization or RSO that aims to educate women about the reproductive health and to give resources to women who are looking for... Good.
0: So let's get started. With an icebreaker, can you tell our listeners what beverage are we having today?
3: So we are currently having some coffee. It's, I believe mine is Colombian roast coffee with caramel creamer. I
0: am having a dark roast, which is my typical. Yeah, most people would see that in every episode. I will have a dark roast. I like bolder flavor in coffee and that keeps me caffeinated and hopefully not speaking too fast, (laughs) climbing off the walls. Can you tell our listeners a little more about Her Health and what's the general purpose of your organization?
3: So in general, Her Health, what we do is we want to get certain information about reproductive health out to women. But this also includes, when I say women, I also mean, you know, those who people who have a uterus, people who menstruate. You know, we, we want to be as inclusive as possible because our overall goal is to educate those who identify as women and who have a uterus about their health when to go get a gynecological exam what is normal in terms of uh, menstruation also certain stds what to look out for
0: stds sexually transmitted infections For our listeners are there who may not be familiar with the term now do you reach so far i my understanding is that the the group is relatively new at ucf
3: right? yes we are we did start prior to the pandemic, about two months before uh, the university shut down from it and switched to online. But this is our first semester in person in full swing oh
0: isn't that excited to finally see people in three dimensions right right, right.
3: no <laughs> yeah you're completely right because before that it was just zoom and you know it, it was it was really
0: my understanding is that your outreach then is mostly within UCF but I wish you the very best as you expand and hopefully get out there to the entire Central Florida community right because yeah. I see that you're aiming for women and uh, sexual health among women so definitely Definitely a, a great job that we we commend you for.
3: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, we we hope to expand our outreach, our scope in general, and get to women even outside of the UCF community. Our overall goal is to actually have a branch at each Florida university, uh, so they can have their own branch of her health. That way, we can also partner and do events, you know, among the universities, and you know, just become a pretty big organization
0: so with the folks from period ucf we discussed the importance of a normal healthy menstrual cycle for the uh for all menstruators out there but uh, our listeners as well should be concerned or warned about any red flags right no pun intended and uh, abnormal signs of menstrual menstrual cycle would be important so we can we get started by defining uh, abnormal So we have already discussed with them, you know, what is normal to one person is not normal to the other, but you should have some consistency there. So what would qualify as an abnormal or a red flag in your menstrual cycle?
3: Of course, Um, just one important note, I'm not a medical professional. This is solely based off of my own experience, but from my own past experience, an abnormal cycle would be, right, we have like, you know, those of us who track our cycles, if it deviates, not just a few days, but let's say a few weeks from the normal expectant date, you would you would get your, your period, then I would classify that as abnormal, right? Because it deviates not just maybe a day or two, but an entire week or two weeks. Another thing I would note is if it's foul smelling. If it's the consistency, even the color, if it's something that you completely have not seen before, then I would highly recommend going to your doctor and bringing it up because it could indicate a serious issue, it could indicate some sort of infection, whatnot, so really want to pay attention to that. Also what I would think is abnormal is if you are, like for example, you have lighter flow and then all of a sudden it is extremely heavy, you're going through more than one or two pads in an hour, then I would classify that as abnormal because that could indicate an even bigger problem. So that's what I think is abnormal in terms of cycle.
0: And again, what I love about your answer is that it resorts back to that idea that you need to keep track of what is normal for you and what is expected for you, right? Yeah. Just like any other health issue, for example, keeping track of your skin and what are the the moles and what are what abnormal signs. You you know you will only know what is abnormal once you keep track of what is your everyday normal and that varies by person exactly
3: exactly and it's also important to realize that you know by keeping track You're doing yourself a favor so when you go to the doctor for a complaint you also have a little like how do i say note keeping so you can you know go back to reference that way you can also help your physician make the best choice for you and to help you as best as they can because a lot of times even my own personal experience we tend to keep things in our minds and then when they ask us we go
0: well life happens right (laughs) and there's going to be so much on our minds constantly that keeping track of that We have heard from our folks up here you see have a couple apps that menstruators are using to keep track of their period and understand not only where they have been but also how that period behaves and what recording of data they could use to share with their providers so let's talk about flow so earlier we heard that it's about one shot glass per day How can our listeners keep track of flow at any given point and then usually determine if it's more or less than what they're used to?
3: Right, right. Going back to uh, my previous statement, just keeping track of how many pads or tampons or even those who use a diva cup, how many times they have to change and replace those, right? For example, let's say person A typically goes through one pad every three hours, right? What would be abnormal for them would be, let's say, three pads in three hours. That would mean that their flow is much heavier than usual, and it's a good way to keep track of their flow and to understand how much they're going through, just by you know keeping being uh being mindful of how many pads or tampons and whatnot. Uh, so I think that is the best way to keep track, mm-hmm. and you know that way they can see okay, you know, am I having a, a heavier flow than usual? Usual, a lighter flow? Is it consistent?
0: That's that's great tip for keeping track of that flow. Now let's talk about frequency. How frequent is too frequent? And how far apart is too far apart?
3: Of course, so one thing I love to bring up is that our body goes through a lot, hormone-wise, our dietary pattern, our sleep, our stress. So those factors can actually alter the menstrual cycle. That's why sometimes you know period might not on a specific day every month it changes so when it comes to okay well how do i know you know too far apart is not normal how do i know too little apart is you know something i should go to the doctor for you know it's good to first of all like we were talking previously to keep track of it using an app you know it it allows you to see okay what is your average menstrual cycle is it you know 28 days 39 days 30 days Right? So that information allows you to see, okay, this is my usual cycle, right? And then, for example, you know, let's say something comes up, right? And you're having, you know, worries, you can go back and compare, okay, well, this, let's say last month, it lasted this many days. And then this month, you know, it's going on for longer or for shorter. Personally, I would say if it is, if someone were to get their period a few days later, than usual, I wouldn't worry too much about it just because, like I said, you know, in medicine, if it deviates just by a little bit, it's not a cause for concern, immediate concern. But if it does, you know, deviate, let's say like by weeks, then that is when you should go, go to a doctor (laughs) and get it checked out. And then if someone is having, let's say, you know, they they think they finished their period and then In a few days, they get that same period again. That is also a cause for concern, unless this person, they know that they have an abnormal cycle, whether it's due to PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or if it's due to birth control, they just started, you know, then those, you know, wouldn't warrant, you know, significant alarm. But if it's someone who typically has fairly, quote unquote, normal periods, then I would go see a doctor. Definitely.
0: And that's why it's important to keep track of those periods, because not every... I jokingly say that not everybody read the textbook, right? right. Not everybody behaves exactly like right. the textbook says they should. So there will be cycles of twenty-five days. There will be cycles of thirty-five days. Of and at least having that ballpark figure can help determine that normality, quote unquote, right. in your in your period frequency. Right. How can our listeners stay in contact with you or your organization? Say, for example, they want to collaborate, they want some outreach events, or they want to join you. What what should they do to reach out?
3: The best way to reach my organization is to actually follow us on our Instagram. Our Instagram is her health UCF, no spaces, no periods. It's H. Should I spell it out? Yeah. It's uh, her health. So H E R h-e-a-l-t-h-u-c-f and you can follow us feel free to dm us we will get back to you as soon as we can
0: thanks sarah for joining us today and talking about abnormal signs and symptoms on the menstrual cycle and uh, we look forward to see the great work that you're doing with hair health Last, but certainly not least, let's hear from Annalisa Sega, fourth-year medical student at University of Central Florida College of Medicine. So moving in the conversation about menstrual cycle, I have with me another special guest who is going to introduce herself, tell us... their pronouns and what do they do within their organization.
4: Thank you. My name is Annalisa Sega. I'm a fourth year medical student at UCF College of Medicine. My pronouns are she and hers. I matched into OBGYN at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'm going to be an MD in about three weeks and an OBGYN the month after that.
0: Congratulations on that. That's a big step in the medical career. As a nice breaker, can you tell our listeners what beverages are we having right now?
4: I am having raspberry tea with honey because I was a little bit sick about a week ago, hence the scratchy voice. So I figured the tea could help me out a little bit.
0: Wonderful. I hope you're enjoying it. And your voice sounds fantastic. I know you were sick a little bit before, so we had to reschedule you. But it's lovely to have you on board finally. So earlier, we heard from Period UCF about the importance of not only having a normal healthy menstrual cycle, but also how to identify what that menstrual cycle, what that normal healthy menstrual cycle look like. Can you recap us on, from your point of view, what is a normal healthy menstrual cycle
4: sure so a normal menstrual cycle when you are not on any additives or hormones such as over-the-counter medications or oil contraceptives that would interfere with your body's natural hormone progress will look something like what we call the first phase being your actual menses when you're bleeding that lasts about five to ten days in a typical female who has reprodu- uh, female reproductive organs. Generally speaking, that's what we mark as day one of a menstrual cycle is the first day of your period or your menstrual flow. That is typically accompanied by some cramping. Cramping is actually very normal. There are other symptoms that are a little less normal that we can talk about but lower abdominal cramping is very normal because your uterus is a muscle that contracts. So when it's bleeding, it tries to contract to stop the bleeding. Following your menses, you enter two different phases that all have to do with hormones in your body. So when estrogen, a hormone that I'm sure you guys have heard of, is very low, it controls some hormones in your brain that also end up being low. And then over time, the estrogen kind of goes up around day 14, And then day 14, people sometimes get this little pain on one side of their body. It's actually called middle schmerz pain. And when that pain happens, it signals that you went through ovulation. And so when that pain happens, it signals that you went through ovulation. So the ovary releases a little egg. So sometimes you can get a little twinge of pain. And then once that day happens at day 14, The next anywhere between 14 to 20 days of your menstrual cycle are what we call the proliferative phase, where you're kind of building up the lining in the uterus to either A, accept a pregnancy, or B, go through menses again. So in total, a normal cycle has about 5 to 10 days of bleeding and 28 to 32 days of the other phases.
0: Oh, and that's fascinating because that's important to mention, especially in people who are looking to get pregnant, right? Get it get that cycle as regular as possible. Also there are, as I said, not everybody, not every space body read the textbook, right? So not all cycles were created equal and sometimes there's some regularity to them, but some of them may be a little irregular. At the beginning you mentioned some factors that may be influencing that, you know, this this month the period is a little shorter or a little longer. What are some of those factors? We We have had some comments from our listeners about, specifically to ask you about hormone positive foods so if you can can walk us a little bit through that process.
4: Sure. So like you mentioned, foods, foods and exercise are very important to maintaining normal body hormones, not just with relation to the female reproductive system, but stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, how you sleep, how you function during the day. All of those hormones are very dependent on exercise and food. So... With regards to the menstrual cycle specifically, we've actually found in research that bodies who have a BMI over 30 to 35 could tend to have a little bit longer periods, a little bit longer bleeding, a little bit longer cycle in general. Now, the reason why that is the case is something that can be discussed in a whole other podcast, but I feel like it's important to touch on because A lot of women go to the doctor and have period cramps or have cycle irregularity or are having trouble getting pregnant, and the doctor tells them to lose weight. And that's not, A, very easy to do, and B, it's not, you know, a good solution when you go to a doctor, right? It's not something you want to be told, but there is evidence suggesting that hormones that are secreted from our fat cells actually interfere with estrogen signaling, so I just like to point that out because I've been asked so many times, like, why did my doctor tell me to lose weight like, so I could get pregnant? And there really is science behind it. We're not just trying to be mean, which is why healthy foods and exercise are very important for maintaining a regular cycle. And as for hormone-positive foods, there are certain foods that are said to be a little bit more aphrodisiac than others. There are also foods that are said to kind of pump up the body's ability to synthesize proteins which hormones are made out of typical things that you think of for like aphrodisiac type foods are like chocolates oysters things with different chemical compounds in them you know how people say when you eat turkey at thanksgiving you get sleepy because there's a chemical in there that makes you sleepy it's not just because you ate way too much food So other hormone positive foods tend to synthesize higher levels of protein. I mean, a couple I could think off the top of my head that I go for are like spinach and blueberries, kind of things that have a lot of antioxidants because they decrease the inflammatory response and also things that have a lot of amino acids to help build said hormones afterwards.
0: Now, when it comes to red flags of the menstrual cycle we already had the conversation of having a little cramping maybe normal let's get start with pain get started with pain so when pain when does pain become not manageable and what can our listeners do to keep it under control and when do they know it's time for a consultation
4: so a few little tips to just keep normal pain under control which is Usually abdominal cramping, kind of like maybe you ate a bad food or almost as if you pulled a muscle deep inside of your abdomen. It should not necessarily feel like you are being stabbed repeatedly for multiple days or feel like there's some type of like twisting pain as if you pulled a muscle or, you know, something was impeding with blood flow to a certain organ. Also, in regards to pain, it should not be interfering with everyday normal functions or with body's other functions. So if you are, say, having trouble urinating, going to the bathroom because you're in so much pain, or if your pain is then causing significant nausea and you're losing weight because you're unable to eat, I would consider those red flags. As for pain in of itself, you can do heating pads, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, things like Advil. Naproxen, which is also a leave, are very good at controlling muscle pain. People also think that Tylenol is good for abdominal cramps or muscle pain, which I would shield against a little bit. For muscle pain, and like I said, the uterus is a muscle, I would lean more towards the NSAIDs, things like Advil, Motrin, and Naproxen, or Aleve. Tylenol has a different mechanism of action for controlling pain, and it actually starts controlling it from your brain, not from the actual part of the body that is inflamed, so it works a little bit differently. It's very good for the headaches that accompany menstrual cycles, but not necessarily as good for the cramping.
0: Now, when it comes to the rest of the cycle, are there any other red flags or signs that our listeners can be keeping an eye on?
4: Right. So like you said, not everybody reads the textbook and everybody's cycle is a little bit different. So I encourage you to just become familiar with what your menstrual cycle is like. And if you start noticing something different, if they are lasting significantly longer, if they are very shorter, if you if they are shorter, sorry, if your bleeding pattern changes significantly, some women with female reproductive organs tend to have very heavy periods. And unfortunately, that is their normal. But some women are, do not have that. Some people who have menstrual cycles have very light periods and all of a sudden, One time they have a period that's really heavy, and while it may not be abnormal if you ask your best friend about it to her, it's abnormal for that person because it's not what they're used to. That's the best advice I could give you for abnormalities with your own body. Specifically, there are things called like bleeding counts that are done in the hospital. So if you are completely saturating one pad every hour, For more than four hours, that's considered too much blood loss. As well as having any signs of anemia when you are showing... So so anemia is when you have lost too much blood. And some signs of that could be dizziness, being cold, being pale, shaky. Your eyes can be very, very white. Sometimes the gums around your teeth are very, very white. Things that just signify significant blood loss, which can come from menstrual cycles if you have a heavy enough period that is definitely something to get immediately checked out for
0: absolutely and if our listeners say for example do not have any of these red flags right and they go for their annual wellness checkup what kind of things we have we have heard that there's apps where from our folks from Period at UCF and from Her Health uh, at UCF that there are apps that they can use to track you know their their cycle and what's normal what do you as a provider uh, look for in these you know regular yearly checkup consultations Mm -hmm. that will be useful in that relationship with your patient to guide and counsel them
4: those apps are great I use them myself. It's a, not only a really good way to keep track of where you are in your cycle for your own well-being, for your own preparation, it's also valuable data for your provider. So knowing how long your period, so your actual bleeding cycle is, and those apps give you an estimation of your total cycle, so you know that 28 to 32 days amount. If you were to come ask me as a provider, you know, how long does your period last, Annalisa? I could be completely off from what I'm actually physically recording in my app because sometimes we just get so sucked into, oh, it's five days because it's supposed to be five days or it's always five days. Or maybe you didn't remember last October when you had a 15-day cycle and you logged symptoms of you know, feeling woozy and tired and vomiting. And then you have that record to go back and then bring those problems to your provider, which is really important for us because... We like having data like that. Doctors love data. And apps that give us numerical data are very, very useful.
0: Even better, right? And that has been the story with diseases, right? So people who have high blood pressure, for example, keep their logs and keep their tracks. People with diabetes keep their logs and keep track of that. But when it's not a disease, when it's a normal physiological function, sometimes it's either we forget or we don't do it. So uh, as you were saying, apps are great to actually kind of automatically click that data in a sense it just becomes second nature right exactly let's talk about a little bit about age and menstruation so when is I I have been reading different different research and I see that over time the age of men depending who you ask but the age of men is changing consistently are we looking at trend towards like younger or more adolescent first menstruation
4: so the trend that we have seen in the American Academy of Pediatrics over the past decade or so has actually been that menarche is occurring earlier in girls in females who have two ovaries at birth. Typically, you if you asked someone 50 years ago, they would have said that menarche was an average around maybe 13 or 14 years old. And now it's been getting a little bit earlier, you know, 10, 11, 12 and there are a couple steps before menarche. The first period actually happens. There's something called thearchy, which is breast development. There's also a growth spurt. So people who were born female at birth or who have two ovaries for their sexual organs typically go through a growth spurt where they get very tall very quickly before menarche, whereas males go through their growth spurt, usually a little bit later, closer to the high school age, even up into adulthood. So it's very different that we're seeing such earlier menarchies that are then causing females to have earlier growth spurts than they would have typically had, say, 50, 100 years ago. There are a couple of theories about why that is. One of the hormones I mentioned before, cortisol, a stress hormone, there's a lot of theories about environment food that we consume, exercise levels, as well as family history. So one of the questions we always ask when we're doing an abnormal uterine bleeding consult is how old was your mother when she began her period and then how old were you? Because sometimes things like that just go in families. Some families are very late bloomers. Some families are very early. But in regards to when it starts, try to remember that age if you can, because your doctor will always ask. We always want to know when your first period started. Because data, it, right? it, we were just saying data and it also has a little bit to do with risk factors for certain things. So the longer a woman is menstruating, so the earlier they start and the later they go through menopause, they have a lower risk for certain diseases and cancers and then a higher risk for other ones. So it's very important to know those parameters as close as you can. You know, I say mine was about 12. Was I 12 or 13 or was I 11? It was about 12. So I say it was about 12. But, you know, if yours was eight and you're having 14 recorded in your medical chart, that's a difference of six years. And you want to make sure that a medical provider knows what the true date is. As for when the menstrual cycle normalizes, gets the heaviest, and then starts to decrease, there's data that show It kind of goes along the lifespan. So the first few months to years of the menstrual cycle after the first period are what we call anovulatory. So there's no egg released. You shouldn't get that little middle schmartz pain. And if for some reason you were tracking ovulation in someone who had a first period, there shouldn't be any hormone signals because what we call the HPO axis, which is a bunch of structures in your brain that control a lot of hormones, is underdeveloped in children who are in pre-adolescence so that access isn't working perfectly we're still kind of trying to fine-tune all the hormone signaling so those exactly exactly and those first few periods are not going to be releasing an egg once an egg starts to be released and you are not on any contraceptives because as soon as you start taking contraceptives all the hormones get out of whack again which is the point of contraceptives. Not that it's a bad thing. You want that to happen because you want to stop ovulating to then have the protective pregnancy effect. But if you were to go through that time period, around age 25 to 30 is when menstrual cycles are typically the most regular and the heaviest. No one knows exactly why. It's typically about halfway between when you started it and when you're going to go through menopause. So we think all of the hormones kind of just hit that pinnacle and then start to decrease. So from, say, 35 on, those hormone levels are getting minusculely lower every single month Mm -hmm. so that over time, your menstrual cycle will be getting longer in terms of the time between bleeding and that bleeding itself may actually get lighter as well until you ultimately come to menopause when you stop having menstrual cycles altogether.
0: That's great. And now linking these ideas of cancers and preventative services for cancers, for example, cervical cancer, which is not related to hormones, but links back a little bit to menstrual cycle, which is our conversation. Is there a best time in the cycle for women who get their pap smears?
4: So best time is actually right around your period, but there is no wrong time. So never reschedule a pap smear or change an appointment because of where you are in your cycle. You can get pap smears fully on your period. You can get pap smears off your period. You can get pap smears with an IUD in. You can even get a pap smear while you're pregnant. So I just encourage you in the realm of preventative medicine to make sure your pap smears are always updated, as well as breast exams. Because the things that we are finding to prevent cancers and catch them earlier are a lot better than the things we have to treat. I really encourage your, your doctor is not going to be embarrassed by doing a pelvic exam on you when you have your period. We've seen it all. So if don't let that be the reason that you change an appointment.
0: And to end on a positive note, what kind of resources do we have for listeners? I know we, cannot, we can only cover so much in this, in this time, right? But what kind of resources are available in the Central Florida community for our listeners out there?
4: So there's a couple of school projects, actually. Um, The HER project and the PERIOD project actually go into middle and high schools um, to try to educate the classroom populations a little bit more about period health, which are very cool. Um, There's also, so it's actually its own independent organization, um, but there are some medical students at UCF who go volunteer. Um, So the PERIOD project, I think, is a it's definitely in Florida, maybe a nationwide organization. They collect um, sanitary product donations. Um, they provide a lot of education and brochures and they actually go into the school systems. I've had close friends at the medical school go and teach at the school systems about it. So it's a very great resource. As for those of you who may be looking for the pot, uh, to the podcast, I encourage you when you're looking things up on the internet that you try to make sure they're from resourceful and dependable sources. So I'm actually an ambassador on the FemHealth Project, which is an organization dedicated to making sure information that is on the internet about reproductive health is accurate and not misleading. So we have podcasts, we have blog pl- posts, there's various social media handles, and there's a website. Um, so that's fem, like femhealth.org. There's also resources, of course, like your local providers, counselors, Planned Parenthood, and specifically if you're having mental health issues, there's a lot of reproductive-based psychiatry in involved nowadays that you can find at a lot of university based offices as well as online support groups if you're going through say infertility struggles. If you just had a baby, there's a lot of postpartum support groups. So I encourage you to use the technology we have to your advantage because it is something that should be taken advantage of
0: that that is very helpful actually I will make sure that we leave those links to our listeners so they can reach out and either I learned the other day this statement of they can people can contribute with these organizations with it was the three t's time treasure or talent So either either you can volunteer your time, you can make a donation that is treasure, or you can actually use your talent to actually guide them or link link them. So that's what we do here in the podcast. We definitely will cross link with those resources for our listeners out there in Central Florida. We hope you have enjoyed these series of conversations at the Sex Cafe podcast.